Hello and welcome to the Alatea Foundation podcast. My name is Stephen Cole and it is my very great pleasure to welcome Mr. Jean-Marc Leroy. He is now retired from Angers, but previously held senior roles with them, several in fact. Uh, Mr. Leroy also holds several non-executive roles. He used to be president of Gas Infrastructure Europe, of GRDF, the French gas distribution company. He also was a member of the board of directors of the Global Gas Centre. Recently, he was elected as president of the French Gas Association, a member of the board of Eurogas, and is still a member of the executive committee of the IGU. So quite a few hats he's wearing, and uh, obviously because he has such great expertise. Jean-Marc, a very warm welcome. Thank you very much, Stephen. I am very pleased to join this podcast and very pleased and honored. It's really a pleasure to have this uh, chat with, uh, with you and to discuss the current gas situation in Europe. Well, you know, before we talk gas, and we are going to talk gas mainly, I, I just wanted to mention that we're seeing uh, huge changes in the workplace, not least the increase in more women uh, taking the helm, more women in charge of major companies in France and indeed across many Western countries. Is this, Jean-Marc, a cultural change that seeks to address underrepresentation of women in industry? Uh, and it's a move that I suppose can only be welcomed because it brings in such new talent. From my point of view, it's really something very obvious. <laughs> if you want to be efficient, you cannot forget competencies and expertise of more than half of the population. So it's, from my point of view, really an asset for these companies to have this gender diversity and I do consider as well that still some improvement has to be made. So we have some way to go. We have definitely some way to go uh, based on competencies and the fair evaluation of competencies and talents. I do prefer that rather to imposing some quotas, which are definitely of my point of view, not very fair for women which are in charge of these companies. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And it's pretty condescending as well, I think, quotas. Um, anyway, let's move on to the subject we, we all want to know more about energy and specifically gas. Can we move to the French government's energy transition policy pledge, pledges that 10% of the gas it supplies to customers will be green by 2030? Is this possible? And where will the green gas come from? It's not only possible, but it's not enough. <laughs> we oh, are, you mean it doesn't go far enough? No, we are by far more ambitious than that. And we are discussing currently with the French government to, to get around 20% in 2030. Uh, so uh, where did this gas will come from? It will come mainly at this horizon of time from um, methanization coming from agricultural waste. You probably know that today we are at eight terawatts produced by this technology. And we have more than 20, 24 terawatt hours, I would say, um, in the course to be put in operation 
in the very coming years. So definitely, this biomethane technology will be part of the gas future in France. So, well, that's that's tremendously positive, not 10%, you're saying 20%. Under the Paris Agreement, the EU is committed to reducing greenhouse gas emissions by at least 40% by 2030. Now, that's just less than eight years away. Is that feasible? It's probably one of the most challenging objectives in the EU policy. From my point of view, it goes through two main kind of actions. The first one is clearly to develop energy efficiency and what we call sobriety. The purpose is really to save energy and to consume less energy, be it gas, be it electricity or be it oil. And by doing that, obviously, you will also not only save energy, you will also save CO2 emissions. And, um, oh, sorry. No, no, you can carry on. That, that's, and in, in this perspective, you know that our objective in France is to decrease energy consumption by 10% during the next winter. Yeah. And from my point of view, it's really achievable without uh, having a too strong impact on the life comfort of citizens. Okay. Uh, can I ask you a personal question? Because we're, we're talking about reducing gas consumption uh, and everybody in Britain, uh, I'm in London, you're in Paris. Um, I've had to sort of cut back electricity and, and gas use because of sheer cost. What's the situation in Paris and across France in terms of use of energy for, for householders and, and flat holders? What's your situation? You know, have, have your bills gone up? <laughs> we we are the French government for uh, final customers have put in place what we call a, uh, a, a tariff shield, bouclier tarifaire. So it's protecting the final customers, and also it's fin financed by uh, the government. So it's clearly a kind of. Uh, uh, management of the energy bills thanks to the support of the uh, of the government there is also some measures to taken for high consuming gas industry but there is still a lot of progress to be made to protect the medium and small companies which are probably suffering the most of the current price situation yeah, but it's the same in the UK. I would say it's more or less today a defensive position. How can you fight against the rise in prices? We have also to consider how can you can we limit the uh, increase in energy prices? And as I mentioned, there is some market design measures to be taken. Europe is considering some. Let's see what will be the result of the next meeting, the 24th of October. But if energy efficiency development, sobriety are also part of the game. Because if you decrease the consumption by 10%, you have a very strong impact on the price. Because as you well know, marginal price is what put energy prices 
to uh, submit, I would say. Yeah. That's that's. Thank you for for answering that because I wanted to make the comparison between the UK and France, and of course we're all in a very similar boat. But gas has has always taken um, second place uh, to nuclear in France, uh, unlike the UK, as a source of electricity. Now nuclear is starting to be viewed and viewed by many as green. Will the role of gas, do you think, diminish therefore in France? I think not only in France, but also globally in Europe, we have to be ready to have an increase in the electricity consumption. And so electricity market share will probably rise from 25, 30%, depending where you are in Europe, up to 45%, probably in 2050. But there is a limit to this. And the limit is the fact that if you want to manage efficiently uh, the impact on the cost of the energy transition, you have to use all the benefits of each segment of energy. Electricity has a lot of interest, but have also some limits. And gas have also some limits, but also has a big interest, mainly as far as flexibility and volatility is concerned. So my, my point of view is that we will not have one energy which will win all the game. We will have rather a portfolio of actions and nuclear in France will be part of the game. Solar uh, will be part, uh, windmills will be part of the game as well. But we have a lot to do as well as far as hydrogen is concerned, mainly uh, green hydrogen for sure, and also biomethane, emethane. Methane uh, obtained through waste management processes. We have a lot of technologies today ready to be used and able to transform our waste in a treasure. Yeah, and of course, uh, as always, uh, the question is how long will that transformation take? We, it should, it should be a very active transformation. And I would say the transformation will take probably a long time. We have the, the time frame, 2050, okay? But my opinion is that the transition can go faster than expected if we are able to have a holistic vision about this transformation and not only to be only focused on one part of the issue. Right. That's that's exactly right. I mean, the gas industry is going to face significant transformations uh, over the next decades up to 2050. But with uh, going back to French energy policy, the government has agreed no new licenses for exploration of, of fossil fuels, oil and gas will be granted. Given that the possibilities are limited in France anyway, was that just a hollow, hollow gesture, do you think? No, from my point of view, it's completely coherent with the fact that we want to be carbon neutral. And as we have other solutions to gain this carbon neutrality challenge, that was something probably that we should accept as a gas industry to focus more on technologies for the future than on technologies which could have prolonged the current situation without solving 
any big issues for the future. So I think that this decision really was taken currently with the sake of the carbon neutrality challenge. Right. Yeah, that that uh, that's the ultimate uh, objective. The the development, uh, as I said at the beginning, you listing your qualifications, the development of gas infrastructure is something you've been involved with for a very large part of your career. Can you outline the major developments you see coming to fruition in France and indeed across Europe? Uh, I think there is still a lot to do as far as, as infrastructures are concerned. I see three areas mainly. The first one probably is to consider new LNG facilities because Okay, gas will be green in 2050, but to, in, to ensure an efficient energy transition, we will, we will have to uh, use some new natural gas sources simply to replace Russian gas, which will be probably off, globally off in a close future in Europe. Uh, so the first one is probably considering new LNG facilities, mainly FSLUs, there is a lot of projects in Germany. There is also one in France driven by Total Energy uh, in Le Havre. So that's probably the first things to consider. Second things to consider, we still need some interconnection, mainly in some part of Europe where the grids are not interconnected enough, especially taking into account that the flow in the future will not be traditional east-west flow but west east flow or south north flow so I, I i i was really supportive of the project of uh, new gasoduct between uh, bulgaria and greece and i am i was very happy to see that uh, uh, it was put in operation i think it's in the last days so we have to do also this effort to develop this new interconnection in order to help some countries to develop a diversification of their routes and sources. That's the second one. And the third one for sure is to prepare the future. Also to consider how in the future part of this gas network could be also used for transporting uh, hydrogen. And that's, there is a lot to be done as well in this perspective. Hydrogen will not be the solution to all our problem, but it will be part in a larger portfolio of the solution for the future. Yeah. And infrastructure, gas infrastructure has a lot to do to welcome probably hydrogen in some harbor and to transmit this to transport this hydrogen through transmission lines, which could be refurbished gas transmission lines. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just uh, very very briefly, um, uh, Jean-Marc, uh, what do you think about the forecast that gas uh, is going to lose its place for domestic space heating to electricity and heat pumps in some countries? I, 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 well, first, I think that betting on only one thing is not a good idea. You, you know, there was a French philosopher Name, whose name was Alain, who said, if you, nothing is more dangerous than one idea if you have only one. <laughs> okay, and what I observe, for instance, is what happened in Amsterdam. Amsterdam was pushing very strongly 
towards the full electrification in Haiti. And they had to reconsider this position due to the fact that it was very difficult to implement the electrical fascists in order to, 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 to support this position. So there was a move in, uh, in, uh, in Amsterdam to go back to a more balanced policy. That's the first thing. The second thing is that uh, heat pumps are not as well the alpha and omega of an energy policy because heat pumps are very efficient where the weather is mild. And I really support the use of this kind of tools when you have mild weather. But when the weather becomes very cold, the efficiency of electricity heat pump, air, air, or water, water heat pumps are, are, is decreasing very strongly. And as you know, there is some effectual complement inserted into the heat pump for, for, for uh, managing this kind of cold situation. And as you know as well, effectual heating is probably, as far as efficiency is concerned, the worst solution to be put in place. So rather than implementing everywhere this kind of solutions, I am supporting the development of hybrid heat pump. Hybrid heat pump is an electrical heat pump which can be used when the condition, weather conditions are very favorable. It's a big saving for the customers. And when you have peak cold, then a gas boiler is taking the relay. And then you have the best of the two worlds, gas and electricity, for mm. the benefit of the consumers. Be honest, you. Um, the world thinks and Europe thinks or uh, asking the question, can Europe survive without Russian gas? And it's no doubt European gas supply is dominated by Russia. Does that worry you or has the response to import LNG shown the market can respond adequately to any threats to gas supply? I, first of all, I was very astonished by the result of the European policy, positively astonished, because we came from a dependency globally of 40% beginning of this year to less than 9% currently. So it's a very huge effort done by the European community to, um, to, disminish, to, 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 to lower its Russian gas dependency. There is still a lot to be done. 9% is still a lot. Uh, and from my point of view, it goes through two main actions. First one is energy sobriety. And uh, if we are able to be more efficient in the way we use gas in all sectors, mobility, heating, electricity production, and so on, we can uh, face this challenge, but also by discussing in order to have new reliable sources. Europe is a, can be a very reliable market for a gas producer. And so we, I do consider that with is market forces, Europe can have some interest for um, gas producers. 
Okay. Um, again, we're, we're, we're sort of running so out of time. There's so much to ask you, but I just just tell us briefly about your involvement with Gas Infrastructure Europe uh, and the role of an association, and also the challenges uh, of the association, what, what what they're facing. You know, the, the current situation. Learn new, learn us globally some lessons some of us had forgotten. And the first one is that energy is also, and I would say must be, a, a question of long term. So what I tried to achieve and what Turban Bravo, which is the, the new president of GIE, is trying also to do is developing this infrastructure vision with a long-term vision, because infrastructure business is by definition a long-term business. So what does it mean? It means to be able to prepare infrastructures to meet the challenges of the future, developing new efficiencies, having the right connections, but also be prepared for some more hydrogen-oriented economy in the future. So that's really the main challenges that uh, gas infrastructures have to face. And I would say that I am very proud so far of what has been achieved in this perspective. Uh, uh, finally, you also chaired for nine years the board of a French engineering school in Toulouse. What, what was the main drivers of this involvement in education? And uh, I'm a huge fan of engineering, by the way, and, and the necessity. And people say it's unfashionable to be an engineer, but gosh, isn't it necessary? But what was your main driver for that involvement? Uh, I, I will have a double answer. A very personal one, if you allow, is the fact that I had really the opportunity when I was young to do long studies. And these long studies were mainly paid by the French government. It was paid by my country. So I really consider that assuming this role of uh, sharing uh, this engineering school was also, I would say, a way to give back to my country something that they brought to me in the past. That was my personal driver. The second driver was also, from my point of view, very important, is that we definitely need this connection with new ideas, with, with the young people, they are able to develop very creative new solutions. And you know, sometimes it happens that when I was back from uh, uh, abroad of this engineering school, I said to my CEO, hey, I have seen a lot of people working to destroy our business for tomorrow. <laughs> so could be interesting to be connected with them, not to prevent them from destroying the business because, but to see what will be the impact and what would be also the positive consequences of the, these the new technologies on our own business. So the world of research is clearly, is, is clearly from my point of view, it's true in the UK, it's true in Germany, it's true in all part of the European continent is really a big asset yeah. for our continent. We have to use this creativity probably more efficiently 
than we did in the past. So let's use this uh, carbon neutrality challenge, thanks to new technologies, to be an asset for the future of the industrial development of Europe. I could not agree with you more. That question concludes the interview today. Uh, Mr. Leroy, on behalf of the Alatea Foundation, I'd like to thank you very much for providing uh, us with your expert analysis. The Foundation looks forward very much to speaking with you again in future. And thank you for listening. To be sure to keep up to date with all of the Alatea Foundation's work by following us on Twitter and YouTube. Thanks again, Jean-Marc. I'm Stephen Cole. Au revoir. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>